across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk A Radio. So, uh, here we go again. It's one step forward, it's three steps back. Opening up, closing down. It's the government policy of the asylum, the hokey-cokey of common sense. Is it safe? Is it dangerous? Are we being too cautious? Is the economy going to survive? Can we ever expect the Cabinet and its sage advisers to do anything that might involve any chance of possible risk? Consider this. While holidaymakers from Portugal will now be told to quarantine uh, when they return, there will still plane loads of people arriving into Heathrow from red countries around the world, mixing with one another at the airport and continuing to travel around the country in coaches as they get dispatched to various hotels in different parts of England. All in all, the safety first policies have been roundly condemned as ridiculous by everyone pretty much except Grant Shapps and of course he says it's all to do with safeguarding the domestic opening date of June the 21st. What are the chances of that changing between now and then? You'd have to say, uh, you, if you were a betting man, uh, you would not bet on the opening day of June the 21st doing everything uh, we were promised would be done. Uh, we'll be asking John Rental if he thinks this could finally derail Boris's popularity if they don't get this one right. We'll also be asking the travel editor of The Sun, Lisa Minow, what next for the holiday business? Because don't forget, it's not just about the holidays that people want to take from here to there. It's about the people who want to come on holiday from there to here. Because there are huge swathes of this country, uh, and I include when I say this country in the United Kingdom, in Scotland, in Wales, in Northern Ireland, there are huge swathes of it that demand tourism, that only survive because of tourism. We talk about the Greek islands, we talk about the Balearics, we talk about Portugal having to need the money that comes from British tourists. Well, we need the money that comes from tourists from around the world, particularly the US of A as well. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, I'll be asking you about the state of the nation. We've got machete-wielding thugs going at each other every single day on our streets. This has got to stop and someone is going to have to stop it. Gangs of electric scooter riding thieves and marauding all over our cities and people are literally dumping their rubbish on our streets in a fly-tipping free-for-all out there. Just what is going on? Tell us what you're seeing uh, and we can tell everybody else. 0344 499 1000. We've also got former advisor to Donald Trump, Sebastian Gorka, coming up with a look ahead to next week's G7 summit and Joe Biden's first foray overseas. Plus, he'll tell us why he believes that Donald will run for the White House again in 2024. As if all that wasn't enough, we've got Kevin O'Sullivan uh, talking about the BBC. We've got Georgie Frost with some more tips for you on personal finance. And because it's Friday, it's time for the Perrier Awards in the company of Yorkshire's finest, Izzy Rowland. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the entire planet. This is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let us, without further ado, uh, transport ourselves uh, to the world of John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. John, a very good morning to you. <laughs> good morning from my ivory, my book-lined ivory tower. Well, listen, Sunday. I expect nothing less from you, John. I mean, at least an ivory tower, if uh, even if it's not real ivory, it's fake ivory, because obviously that would be, <laughs> um, you know, counterproductive to sustainability. Um, but what a week. Um, I was going to say to you this morning, we, we haven't really heard much from Boris this week since his wedding. He's obviously uh, exhausted from all of the partying that he got into at the weekend. Um, but this has really thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, because we've not only now got people who want to go on holiday, 
they complaining? But we've got the Portuguese government complaining, saying that the British government is not fully taking advantage of the vaccination process and also is being completely overcautious. So we've got governments, foreign governments now saying what we've been saying at Talk Radio for weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, it was all looking, it was all looking okay mm. uh, until uh, until yesterday. Um, it was it was looking as if we were progressing towards the twenty first of June. I mean, with 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 a question mark over it, and and, and Boris Johnson did pop up uh, uh, to do what. This is the way he talks to to the country now. He does he does sort of thirty second video clips on on a visit to uh, somewhere or other. Mm. Um, he never subjects himself to 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 rigorous questioning, um, but he was he was saying uh, that he hadn't seen anything in the data. He was repeating that to to put us off the twenty first of June. But it is looking a bit it is looking a bit gloomy. But I'm afraid I think you're off track to suggest that this is somehow going to be uh, held against him by the great British public. Well, I don't necessarily think that this one act will be held against him. But if this is the beginning of a series of acts which result in um, the opening of uh, the 21st of June not really happening, because I can see them coming up with all manner of reasons. Because if you look at the stats today, you know, yes, you can say that there's a 38.9% change in the seven day average daily coronavirus cases. But what that doesn't tell you is where they are how it's affecting the hospitalisation of people and what sorts of people are getting infected. Now, my understanding is, is, if you look further into the data, that it tells you most of the people getting infected haven't had the vaccination or at the very least they haven't had two vaccinations. So, you know, it's not quite the same as saying this is the problem we were having in March, is it? No, it isn't. It isn't at all. And that's why I think we are still uh, heading in broadly the right direction. Uh, and I thought, I thought uh, that public opinion was was moving towards uh, impatience with uh, with restrictions and wanting to throw them off. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, over the past 15 months, I'm afraid the you know, British public opinion has always wanted uh, more restrictions than the government has been prepared to impose uh, and is prepared to wait longer and and see more damage done to the economy mm. than I... But, you, but you and I always have this, this, this argument, John, and I think uh, it depends on who you ask. And there are two different lots of people now in this country, very clearly. Those uh, who are quite happy, as I saw at the weekend when I was out uh, in London, in Hyde Park, uh, in Selfridges, in Harrods and all the usual places that I go shopping, um, <laughs> you know, absolutely rammed with people. Loads of people walking yeah. around without masks on. Loads of outdoor spaces being filled with people having lunch and, and having drinks and all of that. And yes, there are plenty of people who don't want to do that and plenty of people who will tell you, Gov, that they want to see more restrictions and more caution. But that's not by any means uh, a convincing argument, I don't think, for the government, which also wants to and needs to get the economy back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I think they will. But I suspect there is going to be some some caution about uh, about the uh, you said 21st, that again. 21st of June date. And I think I I think if if Boris Johnson has to postpone that by two or three weeks, I don't think he's got any particular price to pay in uh, in public opinion i mean i think most people feel that society is opening up already as you as you say uh, people are out uh, out and about uh, much more than they than they were yeah uh, and i think most people will feel well if we have to wait another three weeks and that's uh, that's not so bad and the question is whether people are so desperate to go away on holiday uh, that they're going to get upset about uh, about that that's a different 
That's a different well, it's question. Not so, but... I don't think it's so much that they're desperate to go away on holiday, albeit that some of them may well be. But the fact is that as a, as a, a father and a, in, a, in a family unit of four people, it's incredibly difficult to plan anything if you don't know yeah. what's happening from one week to the next. And that's the issue. It's not so much that, you know, I desperately want to go to Portugal tomorrow so that I, like Michael Gove, can self-isolate on my return. You know, surely <laughs> the point is that I want to be able to say with some certitude that I want to book a, a couple of weeks in August to go somewhere. At the moment, yeah, I can't no, do that. Yeah, no, I think I think that is a problem. But the uh, the question is whether people will uh, hold it against uh, Boris Johnson or the Conservative Party uh, if if they're unable to, to to make those plans. And I mean, I just I just think the political cost for the Prime Minister is is limited. I think uh, I th- I think he's still going to going to remain popular. I mean, there's another YouGov poll uh, out last night uh, putting the Tories 16 points ahead. Yeah. Uh, oh, listen, I, 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 I would not differ from you on that at all because the, the, quite simply the opposition is so lame. Um, <laughs> that, I mean, I started off this week talking to Tim Montgomery and my question to Tim Montgomery was, what does Boris have to do to become unpopular? You know, we've even had the migrant sort of crisis popping up again yesterday. Uh, we've got migrants winning court cases against the government, against Priti Patel, who still seems incapable of doing anything about all these people arriving on our shores. You know, he gets married in the midst of a time when half the number of people who want to get married can't get married because they have to wear masks and they don't want to do it. You know, and it just, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, but he just gets more and more yeah. popular. Yeah, no, and uh, Keir Starmer's interview um, on uh, on ITV was going to, was going to turn everything around, you know, because he uh, his eyes welled up with tears and he yes. became a. What did you make uh, of that, actually? Because because I wonder. I mean, I was quite critical. I just you know not of Piers Morgan, but just of the whole process. I don't think it did him any favours at all because Keir Starmer is actually not very interesting. <laughs> well, he turned out to be slightly more interesting than uh, well, than, than, a, than, than, a, than a rock. <laughs> the idea, the idea, which I think um, might have. Uh, it taken hold in some quarters that this was going to going to turn around public opinion uh, to, is is probably not. Uh, I'm not. not I'm well certainly fa- not. I'm certainly not buying the you know brimming over with manly passion nonsense and that uh, Colin Firth's character in Bridget Jones's diary is based on him. You're not. No. You, you, <laughs> you're going to tell me you don't like his quiff next. I don't. It's true. Or his blue suit. <laughs> No, but I thought it was I thought it was a good interview and uh, he did come across uh, better than he, he normally does. Yeah, but it hasn't um, done him any good, has it? No, but it, it no. won't because, <laughs> because... No, but that is because the only thing people care about is the vaccines. Uh, and, you know, there are irritations about, uh, about people not being able to go on holiday, not being able to plan and all the rest of it. But actually, uh, as, as, long as, as long as things look good, um, you know, Boris Johnson will be will be all right. I mean, the the difficulty is when we get to Israel, which is like a few months ahead of us because they've vaccinated even more people. They've only got two hundred cases, uh, coronavirus cases in the entire country. Yeah, uh, the pandemic is basically over in Israel. Uh, now, when that happens here, as it will, uh, we, not 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 long now. Uh, then I think the vaccine euphoria will start to fade and then we'll see what happens to politics after that. Yes, and that will be fascinating because there'll be an awful lot of things that need fixing. I mean, later on in the show today, we're going to talk about some of the things that I think have been the sort of um, the fallout, if you like, of the lockdowns. And I wonder whether sometimes watching all of these machete fights that are going on that has something to do with people's frustration uh, we see people uh, literally sort of littering all over the place as fly tipping going on all over the place and i mean these are all small what you might call you know low social 
crimes, if you like, um, some of them more serious than that. But, you know, there's an awful lot of um, what I would say um, dissatisfaction um, within the country, which you don't really see on polls. You don't really see it uh, in the House of Commons, but it's there. You know, people are frightened to go out in London now because they're worried they might get stabbed. Really? I'm yeah. not. I'm not. So, I, I I don't recognise the picture you you paint. Of well, you don't you don't mix in the circles that a lot of people mix in, John. I mean, you 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 know, you have a very nice job. You go between Westminster and your house on a very nice bicycle. Um, you don't live in communities <laughs> where people are having quite violent experiences on a daily basis. No, that's true. And uh, you know, I do. I, my experience is not of uh, litter strewn streets with uh, with fly tipping everywhere. Right. Uh, and, and marauding machete machete wielding uh, mobs, but I mean, I, th- I think you may you may be exaggerating slightly. But I mean, I, th- I think. Come <laughs> well, on, John. Is, that's a dreadful accusation to make. There is a, a, a there is a much bigger problem, I think, which is that the NHS is is in a terrible state. It really is. And uh, um, you, you know, we've been talking for fifteen months now about protecting the NHS from being overwhelmed. I mean, it is almost being overwhelmed by the. Uh, it's being by overwhelmed by a bunch of useless bureaucrats is what it's being overwhelmed by. Well, no, I don't think that's that's strictly true. But I mean, it's being overwhelmed by the backlog of, of cases which have become much more serious over the past year uh, because they they haven't been uh, haven't been dealt with. No, decisions uh, and- have been taken in the NHS, in NHS England, in all of the organisations that run the public health systems of this country, and they've been taken wrongly. And they've been taken without due care and attention and they have cost lives. There's no question about that. And that's because the NHS is not very efficient. And everybody in the NHS turned because they were told to, to COVID only. And that that has created this problem. It's been self-made. It hasn't been there because of any lack of funding or any lack of attention. It's been made because no, it- of COVID. No, it's been there because of the lack of lack of funding. Oh, come on, John. They've got more money than, than Croesus. I mean, no, there is no other organisation in the world uh, that gets no, more money than not, the NHS. No, that's absolutely not the case, Mike. We actually spend less on uh, on uh, healthcare in, as in this As a proportion country. of GDP, which is not the same as spending less than any other country. Well, no, but as a proportion of GDP is the, is the thing that matters. because Yeah, but well, our GDP is a lot higher than the countries you're comparing it to. Yes, but because our levels of pay are higher. Yes, exactly. So, so like, you can't have it both ways. The reason why we spend it as oh, less as, as, an, as, as a proportion doesn't mean we spend less than those countries. Does it? <laughs> no, but the point is no. the thing that matters is what you spend as a proportion of your national income. Well, not really. Most, most of the cost of the, of the NHS is, is salaries, and that is always going to be uh, expressed as a proportion of national income. And because the they NHS employ so many people, but they also spend an awful lot of their money on non-medical jobs. You know, 40 percent of the of the uh, employees at the NHS are involved in the medical side. 50 percent plus are involved in managerial stuff and various other procurement yeah. jobs. You know, that's the problem. No, no that's not. That's, no, I don't recognise those numbers at all. The NHS is actually quite, quite efficient. I mean, it's efficient because it doesn't Tell that have, to the but... people who are waiting for five years uh, for an operation. Yeah. That's because it doesn't have sufficient capacity and hasn't, and, and that capacity has been eroded over the past ten years, uh, because actually the Labour government um, by 2010 had had virtually eliminated waiting lists. Well, the um, Labour government and- had also increased the debt burden on every single NHS trust by making sure that they got themselves involved in a private finance initiative, um, which yeah, is still that, causing massive that, problems. That, that, that was Blair's that, legacy. No, I'm sorry, that is completely wrong. Mike. How is it wrong? Uh, 
the PFI was was a way to uh, increase the capacity of the NHS, which which the Labour government uh, succeeded well, why, in How doing. come there isn't any capacity then? Well, because it has gone backwards since 2010 because uh, because of the uh, unwise decisions taken no. by the Conservative government. I'm not, since. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not a defender of the Conservative government, as you well know. I'm very happy to attack them when they get things wrong. The fact is the NHS has been a problem in this country for a very, very long time because it's too big, it's badly run, and it's public sector mayhem as far as I'm concerned. The people that I know that work in it, I talk to nurses, I talk to doctors yeah, who work sure. in it, they will tell you that you go into any hospital in Britain, open a door, and in behind that door, you will find a load of stock that they bought last year, which is now out of date, which they should never have bought. And the stuff like but that happens like, every day. Yes, uh, of course, it's not as efficient as it as it should be, and it's not as efficient as it could be, but it has, you know, it has actually uh, worked uh, reasonably well in uh, towards the end of the last Labour government, and uh, capacity has been squeezed since. No, well, we'll just uh, have to agree to disagree on that front, otherwise we'll be here all day. Have, it doesn't have enough resources spent on it. And and now we are in a, in a real crisis situation because of coronavirus. We're in a real crisis because they stopped treating everybody else. That's the reason yeah, we're in a crisis. They, they didn't have to. No, they didn't have to. They could have used oh. the Nightingale hospitals, which they didn't use. They could have brought more but, people but, in. But using the Nightingale hospitals is still treating people, Mike. You can't say... You can't, you, you're not going to treat Yeah, but half the reason that there weren't enough staff is because they were all sent home because they were all catching coronavirus in the hospital because they weren't properly protected from it. Well, yeah, but that's a separate issue, isn't it? Well, I mean, not the really, point no, is... it's all the same issue. It's issues that are made by, by bad management decisions. You've all, we've all worked for bad companies, John, come on. And you know when you're working for a good company because the management make good decisions. But when they make bad yeah. decisions, that reverberates throughout the entire organisation, and that is what's wrong with the NHS. It's run by numpties. No, I don't. I don't. Don't accept that for for a second. I mean, I think. Well, as I say, uh, tell that to the people that are waiting to see a GP who's not even running a clinic anymore because he's frightened of getting coronavirus, and you're not allowed to go there in case you might be ill. You know, tell it to the people who are waiting for cancer treatment who haven't been able to get cancer treatment because their local hospital isn't seeing anybody with cancer. Yeah, because of coronavirus. Health services all over the world have been hit extremely hard by this. I mean, whether they whether they're um, good health services or bad health services, whether they've got better capacity than we have. I mean, France and Germany have have better health services than we have because they're they're bigger uh, and they have, have have greater capacity. They have still suffered uh, because of coronavirus. Just, well, let me tell just... you something about the French health service. Doctors in France, GPs, only get paid when they see patients. They don't get paid for signing patients up and not seeing them, which is what we do. And that is a mistake of the NHS management system. And I don't think you can argue with that. Well, there's a very fundamental question about, uh, about, about how the NHS ought to be structured. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you, Mike. I think, uh, you know, there are obviously uh, faults with the NHS, which, uh, which the last Labour government uh, tried to put right. But uh, since 2007... Uh, the impetus for reformers uh, has dissipated, and that's that is uh, the cause of an awful lot of our problems today. I think that's absolutely right. Let's talk quickly about the G7 coming up next week, John. Um, what are you expecting? Uh, what are you going to see apart from, according to the Daily Mail, uh, Carrie's G7 outfits as she becomes the first lady of fashion? Well, you know, it's just it's going to there's another big international talking shop. I doubt if any any huge. Um, uh, important agreements will be made, uh, and there'll be an argument about how to how to tax uh, global corporations, which seems to me to be uh, fairly by the by. I mean, the idea that you know a, a minimum rate of 
corporation tax is somehow the answer to the world's problems. Yeah. Uh, Well, I pointed out to somebody yesterday that the main sort of uh, protagonists of not paying enough tax appear to be American companies. So maybe Biden should sort that out in America before he starts telling everybody else what to do. Well, exactly. And, you know, corporation tax is not necessarily uh, the the sort of magic, the the magic answer, because Mm. that's a tax on, on profit. And the whole, you know, one of the whole problems that people have is that Amazon has grown uh, huge by not making a profit for many, many years. I mm. mean, it's started to make a profit now, but uh, taxing its profits would not have prevented it from uh, from uh, growing as, 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 as large and as mm. successful as it did. Right, exactly. And I mean, as far as the kind of, I mean, they'll, they'll sign some kind of green agreement, no doubt. Um, but as you say, it will be, a, but it will be an interesting point to see John, uh, uh, Joe Biden sort of out and about around the world for the first time. This is his first effective trip overseas, isn't it? Yeah, no, it will. And he's going to, he's going to pop in and see the, see the queen as well, which will be, uh, uh, which, which will be some nice pictures, but whether, whether anything substantial will actually be, uh, uh be agreed, I mm. don't know, but you know, it'll, it, it'll just be, it'll just be quite a relief, uh, not to have to wonder what Donald Trump is going to get up to. Ah, well, you can find out later on at 12 o'clock because I'll be telling you that. Sebastian Gorka will be here uh, to tell you what he's doing in 2024. So if you're that interested, John, uh, you can please stay tuned. But thank you uh, for talking to us. John Rensel, the chief political commentator uh, from The Independent, doesn't agree with me about the NHS. I don't see how you can disagree with me about what I said about the NHS. Anyone who has been trying to get treatment on the NHS will tell you it is just a complete shambles. Yes, they can do some good things. Yes, you can get lucky. Yes, there are some great people that work inside it. But it is run by complete and utter no-marks who don't know how to run a welk stand, never mind one of the biggest organisations in the entire world that employs tens of thousands of people and costs us hundreds of billions of dollars and pounds and Deutschmarks and euros and everything else. I mean, it's just ridiculous how useless it is, isn't it? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, let's talk to Ken Marsh, former, uh, sorry, Metropolitan Police Federation chair, because uh, a day now hardly does go by without some uh, video being posted of some machete attack and a machete fight going on the streets of our cities. There was a terrible stabbing attack in uh, Hyde Park the other day uh, where a group of youths were chasing a guy. Uh, He slipped to the ground. They kicked him. They punched him. They stabbed him. Uh, People seem to be carrying these huge, long sort of machete-style knives with them and fighting in the streets. Now, you can put it down to any number of things, but what you can't say um, is that this is something which is getting uh, better rather than worse. It seems to be getting worse. Let's find out what Ken thinks of it all. Ken, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. um... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, my first question is, where the hell are they getting these machetes from? Well, that's a very good question, and um, there is legislation around why you can buy such things and why you would need to buy such things. But it also uh, lays open very, very big questions in relation to stop and search, which we're being chastised about Mm. morning, noon and night. Um, And God help us if we stop that, because they are roaming the streets with these on them. Right. And I mean, if you do stop somebody and search them and they have one of these things on them, what, what what are your officers able to do? Well, arrest them straight away. Well, possession um, of an offensive weapon. Yeah, um, or, or uh, there's, there's all sorts of offences that can be led to that. But mm. also intelligence-led, and I'm not going to go into details, but there, there's a lot of intelligence around gang-related and, and everything else that goes with it. So there's a lot of offences, but um, 
be rest assured if we stop any individual with something like that, they would be arrested immediately, no questions asked. Yeah. I mean, is it an issue of uh, frustration for some of these kids? Because clearly, you know, the lockdown has sent some people, you know, slightly deranged. I mean, I don't know whether it's anything to do with that, whether it's an upscaling of, of gang culture in some way, whether it's turf wars. I mean, the other thing I see a lot of, and I saw three or four of them going down my street last night, uh, these electric scooter brigade, you know, where um, a lot of crimes are being committed by people on the back of these electric scooters because they can get away very easily. I mean, my, I had my kids up in town last weekend, and for the first time in ages, I actually said to them, don't get your phone out on the street um, because there are these characters who are going to go and, and just grab it out of your arm and, 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 and scoot off with it. Um, I haven't had to say that to my children for a long time. No, it's, um, unfortunately, it's what I've called the perfect storm, and I've been talking about this for quite a while, and we're, we're now entering into it. We've got a situation where there is reduction of officers on the street because of the callous behaviour of this government, that they won't vaccinate my colleagues. I'll give you an example of one of my bockies this morning, 20 officers off with COVID. So that puts a huge pressure on the rest of my colleagues who are there. Yeah. And, and it's, but why are they not vaccinated, Ken? <laughs> Good question. Good God, please answer that for me. I mean, I, I mean, no most idea. people in the country have had one vaccination, haven't they? No, not from the age 20 to 30. They haven't. No. Yeah, but not many police officers are under 30 in terms of, I mean, not a huge amount of them, are they? Yes. A well, huge amount. Well, what's the proportion? Uh, probably about 40% or under 30, 40 okay. or 50%. Right. So it's a huge amount. Um, and they had the opportunity to vaccinate us. And because of the way they want to behave, this government, where they pick and choose and blame others, they, they hadn't done it. So but the point I'm making is... Well, there's never a shortage of police whenever there's a uh, one of these marches that they want to police, is there? Say that again? When the, when, when the marches come out, there's plenty of police to police the march. Well, because we have to police it, but that just creates a thinner blue line to deal with what you're talking about, which is knife crime and, and, and everything else that goes with yeah. intelligence-led. Listen, I'm not, don't get me wrong, Ken, I'm not blaming the police here. I'm not no, saying no, no. this is an easy I, job I, for the police. I'm, I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering why um, this is happening so much now. Well, there's only one set of officers, and although the Home Secretary keeps making out we've got hundreds of thousands that you can wear out, they are the same officers. So if you're dealing with a march, you're not on your borough. You know, it's as simple as that. Mm. Um, uh, so it makes it very difficult for us. And then you've got the youth who are coming back out onto the streets en masse. They've been locked down for a long time. They've been restricted with what and how they want to behave. Mm. Um, and you're seeing that unfold. Yeah, and it's a terrible thing to see because ordinary people um, should be protected, uh, not least from running into that kind of behaviour. It's happening in broad daylight. I mean, it's the kind of thing you might have expected to see kind of, you know, in the middle of the night somewhere uh, in a very bad part of London or a very bad part of Birmingham. But it's actually happening in places like Hyde Park. I mean, thank God we haven't got any tourists because, I mean, it's not much of a, an enticement to come to London. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And what's unfolding in Hyde Park was horrific, yeah. absolutely horrific, and you wouldn't expect that anywhere on the streets of the UK. But but this is what we're now faced with, um, and this is the dilemma in terms of policing that my colleagues are having to confront on, on a daily basis. Mm. That one you saw on video, but I can assure you that is happening every day somewhere. No, oh, I know. I mean, I'm seeing it on social media because a lot of it gets posted on social media before it goes anywhere else, before yeah. anybody else picks it up. And I've, I kid you not, I've probably seen something of a violent fight uh, involving several groups of youths mm. every single day this week. Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real, for my colleagues, it's so frustrating because no, no one wants to see anyone injured in the horrific way we're seeing young no. individuals getting injured and killed. It's just, 
it's beyond belief. But it, but it, you know, there's a lot of people who, who are to blame for where we are. And the government I lay an awful lot in front of because you know, with all the mixed messaging and all the misunderstandings of how, where, why, what, and where we get to where we are, it, it's created this kind of, as I've called it, perfect storm of yeah. everyone now coming back out and thinking they can do what they want. Yeah, because I think they don't fear whatever the consequences may be. Well, no, because you're seeing <laughs> you're seeing the unfolding now of people challenging the, the prosecutions and everything else that took place during COVID and, mm. and the nonsense around that. And it just it belittles what we as the police are trying to do, what we're being asked to enforce by this government, and people are driving horse and cart through yeah. it now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a very fair point. Ken, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ken Marsh, Metropolitan Police Federation Chair. I think Ken's got a point there. I think he's landed on something. Uh, nothing to do with the numbers of police officers available. Nothing to do with COVID as such, but everything to do with the way that somehow people have looked upon the police as the messengers of the government and the people who have kept changing the rules and moving the goalposts and arresting people for drinking coffee and arresting people for being in a group of more than six and arresting people for things that seem to be completely and utterly irrelevant. While, meanwhile, behind them, there are people with machetes literally slashing each other to death. I mean, it's quite remarkable. It's like seeing out of Mad Max and it's happening on our streets. You know, it'll soon be upon us, will it not? You know, when you start campaigning, you're going to start campaigning probably next year, right? The, the, look, there, there was a Democrat politician who said the, the campaign never ends. Uh, the Democrats uh, taught us that as soon as the election ends, you start campaigning. President Trump is going to have a 
rally in just a, a few weeks' time, actually at the end of the month. So he's back in rally mood. That means only one thing. He is going to run. I tell you right now on talk radio, 95% certitude that my old boss will be running for the presidency. He's going to do a Grover Cleveland. He's going to be the second president who has a second term separated by four years back in the White House. And it's, it's driving the left and the mainstream media insane, Mike. Well, it wouldn't surprise you to hear, Sebastian, that when I asked John Rental, who uh, you may know as the Independence Chief Political Commentator, a bit of a lefty uh, man that doesn't like Donald Trump, when I said to him, what are you expecting from Joe Biden? All he could really muster was, well, at least it's not Donald Trump coming. And it's like, well, great. Is that the best that you can muster? And it's all they can muster because they would love to see the end of Trump and his supporters. But unfortunately, there's quite a lot of them. Yeah, there are 74 million of us. And if you look at what's happened in just the last three months, I think that 74 million is going to grow into 100 million. It's been, a, it's been an absolute disaster. For, for those who don't follow American politics closely, let's just be clear. From, from 6,000 illegal immigrants crossing the border every single day to having gas lines at the, at the petrol stations for the first time since Jimmy Carter was president almost 50 years ago. This has been a catastrophic administration. We have new jobs figures coming out in just a few minutes. The last jobs figures for last month were only 600,000 short of the mark. So if, you know, he, you know, it took four years, Mike, for Carter to bring America to its knees. Joe Biden's managing to do it in four months. So if this carries on, it will be a cakewalk and uh, Donald will stroll back into the White House. And also, what is this thing that uh, Biden seems to think America wants, which is to do away with fossil fuel, you know, to get rid of the oil business, to get rid uh, of uh, what you might call traditional forms of petroleum? I mean, has he never been to San Diego and looked at the San Diego freeway, which is what I say all the time, 16 lanes of bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic? What are these guys <laughs> going to be doing? It's, it's all ideology. He has wholeheartedly endorsed uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal, hmm. which, uh, which is actually a Green New Steel. It's, hmm. it's like uh, James Dellingpole says, these, these people are all watermelons. They're green on the outside, but it's deep, hmm. deep red socialism on the inside. Again, again, amazing comparison. Under Donald Trump, for the first time ever in American history, we became energy independent. And not only were we energy independent, Mike, we were exporting oil. We were exporting petrol overseas. That's never happened before. Mm. We, on the first day he entered office, executive order was signed, and Biden scotches the XL Keystone pipeline, which here in America, day one, cancelled 10,000 jobs. If you talk to the Canadians, I have Lord Conrad Black on my show every week. He said in Canada, both sides of the aisle are apoplectic because with that one presidential decision, 40,000 jobs were killed in Canada. And then along comes Kerry, the, the, the climate czar, mm. former, Cl former Clinton uh, um, Secretary of State, who, who like an arrogant SOB says, well, you know, all those oil workers... They can get jobs in, in, in the solar industry. Oh, yeah. hang, hang on a second. If you're in Texas, there's, there's no solar industry in Texas. So what? At the age of 50, if you're a steam pipe fitter, if you're working on a rig, you're, you're going to up sticks with your family and move to Boston. Mm. These people are so arrogant. It's ideology, ideology. It's, we've gone from America first 
when I was in the White House to America last under sleepy, creepy Joe Biden. Yeah. And do you know what worries me the most, Sebastian, is that this is the same stuff that comes out of Downing Street and comes out of Boris Johnson's mouth because they will form some kind of Green New Deal down in Newquay. You know, they haven't picked it for uh, a random reason. It's the sort of heart of Cornwall's surfing industry, right, uh, where there's an awful lot of people who think that being green is the way forward. They say the same thing. They say, oh, don't worry. Uh, the Green Industrial Revolution will create all these jobs and people will be re-employed. I'm sorry, I see no evidence of that as, at all, whatsoever. It is massively disappointing. As, as a kid who grew up in West London under Maggie Thatcher, to see the Conservative Party where it is today, all, all this faux virtue signalling, what, what happened in the UK with COVID, the mm. lockdown, the, it's, not, it's, it's, it's gone from the nanny state to the ninny state, <laughs> and it's incredibly depressing. And look, can I just be clear? You know, um, I, I, I was very uh, uh, annoyed with Elon Musk when he talked about how, you know, electric cars are the future. Yeah, maybe, but hang on, Elon, where'd you get the electricity to charge your electric mm. car. Just think about that for a second, because it ain't windmills. No. The majority of electricity you get from the plug in the wall comes from coal-powered fire stations still. It, it, it's, 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 it's not rational. It is virtue signaling, and it will kill jobs. Mm, it absolutely will. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, also your, uh, your, your reference there to the lockdown, because much of America... Um, particularly parts of it which are run by, by what you might call Republican administrations. It's pretty much back to normal now, right? If you go to Texas, if you go to Florida, it, it's shocking for, for people who live here in you know, the stinking, you know, Washington cesspit, the fetid, uh, you know, rat's nest that is Washington. Yeah. You, you, that, we, we, have, we have lockdown states that are still, you know, uh, empty ghost towns. And we have what I call free states. We, we, you know, I've I've refused to wear a mask from the get-go. I'm not afraid of COVID. I caught COVID. I had a little bit of a sniffle for three days, and I'm fine. The, the, but in DC, I mean, people are people. I, I when I walk my dog, right? I see. I'm, I meet people in the forest. In the forest, Mike, with masks yeah. on. People who are by themselves in DC, by yourself in a car with a mask on. It's hysteria. You go to Florida, you go to Texas, no masks, everybody's having a good time. And here's the interesting thing. Their COVID figures are lower than states like California that are still living in the hysteria of the COVID lockdown in many places. Yeah, it is quite extraordinary, isn't it? And so when the Biden bandwagon wheels into the UK, he's apparently going to have uh, lunch with the Queen at Windsor. Uh, I dare say, hopefully he doesn't fall up the steps as he walks into <laughs> the uh, St George's Chapel area. But I mean, um, you know, he's now representing the United States of America abroad. I find that quite an interesting uh, concept because when you think about Donald Trump, you think about George Bush, even uh, even when you think about Bill Clinton, you know, all of these guys were, you know, slightly more presidential, I think, than, than old uh, Creepy Joe. Uh, how long have we got? Have we got a couple of hours <laughs> to talk about how unpresidential, sleepy, creepy Beijing Biden is? From the fact that, that the guy cannot read a teleprompter. Yeah. From, from, from the fact that the guy's been a machine politician for 47 years mm. and he's supposed to be the breath of fresh air to the fact that this is a this is a guy whose son. Let's just talk about his son for a second, because the, the media doesn't want to talk about this, uh, is a whoring crack 
pipe smoking guy who got kicked out of the Navy, who got deals from communist China to the value of $1.4 billion, deals that, you know, uh, no other bank could ever get. J.P. Morgan couldn't get it. He, with his little little firm, got a $1.4 million deal. what does Joe say about that? What is, when, when, when he, he gets oh, asked oh, about is, that, what does he say? This is, this is the biggest story. He says, he said on the campaign trail, I never talk to my son about his business uh-huh. ever. Right. And we now, last week, what do we have? Photographs of when he was vice president in one of the most poshest restaurants in Georgetown, having dinner with not only Hunter, but Hunter's Kazakh and Ukrainian business partners. The guy's, a, either he's a liar or he's senile. And that's when he was vice president. And now he is president and his son still has those dodgy dealings. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? It is that sort of story that doesn't go away, but doesn't actually also quite get completely <laughs> pushed over the line. Let's talk a bit about the White House, because you make a reference in your piece uh, to the time that you were there yourself. Uh, you talk about why you left, but also you talk about the people inside the White House with Donald Trump who kind of acted against his best interests. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, this is perhaps, uh, God willing, if uh, if we win again in 2024, this is the biggest thing we have to fix in the intervening years. I, I have been very blunt about this since I left the White House. The fact is, what happened in 2016 was, was it like a, a little insurgency. It was a band of merry men. It was like Robin Hood and the merry men from Sherwood. Mm. We won the election against Hillary, who thought it was owed to her because of her last name and her gender. Mm. And when we walked into the White House, it was really just a handful of guys, maybe 20 of us, who were in senior positions, knew, knew what we were doing, and were loyal to this vision of America first. As a result, Mike, when you come into the White House, you've got to fill 4,000 political appointments across, yeah. the, across the government. And we didn't have a bench. We, we, we didn't have a team. So what happens? The, the vacuum has to be filled by the old guard, by the bushies, by the swamp creatures. And, and the majority of them, they hated Donald Trump for class reasons. He wasn't one of them. He's not a member of the quote-unquote elite. So we had you know, active saboteurs, whether it's Colonel Vindman, who tried to get the president impeached, or whether it's the guy who wrote the anonymous letter to the New York Times. We have to build that team, the MAGA team, the MAGA bench, because... You know, they ha- it's 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 an institutional thing. It's not just the Democrats, the crazies like AOC and, and Bernie. It's it's the institutional mm. Republican Party. It's the old guard yes. who, who don't who don't, who just want to have an easy life. They want to scratch the Democrats back. They want to get back to usual, have their sinecures after they leave office. He is a disruptor. Uh, he, he represents real America, what, what is derisively called the flyover states. And so I'm going to see the president uh, on Tuesday and we'll be talking about issues like this. Yes, because Peter Hitchens talks a lot about this in this country where, you know, the sort of establishment, the, uh, the, the educated classes, if you want, the people who went to Oxford and Cambridge and who end up running the civil service and the BBC and the institutions of this country, they're all the same. They're all cut from the same cloth. They're all part of this elite and they can't stand the fact um, that they have not any longer got control of the people because we voted to leave the European Union. Everything that's happened since 2016, including the election of Donald Trump, including the referendum to leave uh, the European Union, has driven these people insane. It's a disgrace. I, I think it really, this, this wonderful, delightful return, and, and people use the word populism in a derisive sense. Populism means 
more people want <laughs> what the politicians yeah. are saying. Wow, I thought that's kind of like democracy, really. Yes. I think it begins with Brexit and the idea. I, I was horrified as a kid who grew up in the UK to see everyone from the establishment, and I mean everyone, from the BBC to the House of Lords, try to scupper the voice of 17 million Brits. What an utter disgrace. Thank one thing we can say, you know, in Bojo's credit, that actually he pushed it over the line. But th there were moments that, Mike, there were moments mm. when I was really worried. But the idea that the elite thinks that they, they get to decide above the heads of the people who elect them, that is what we are fighting for. That's mm. what Trumpism is. And that's what Brexit means. And we need, we need more of it, frankly. We do. And also you mentioned the Praetorian Guard of, uh, of the elites, which is, of course, the high-tech companies like Facebook, uh, like, uh, you know, um, Twitter, all of these places that have now banned uh, Donald Trump from taking part in anything ever. There was talk of him maybe launching his own thing, maybe launching his own media channel of some kind. Um, but there's no doubt that you'd have to, if you do get in, uh, make some kind of rule change for these companies. Yeah, it, it is it, the, the, the so-called uh, masters of the universe mm. in Palo Alto in Silicon Valley. They're, they're out of control. Let, let's just think of the Twitter account. He had 91 million followers yeah. on Twitter alone. He was a man duly elected to the presidency. And the day he loses the election, quote unquote, loses, they start plotting against him and then flick off flick the switch and kill his account with 90 million followers. My my radio show was uh, streaming on YouTube. They went in and canceled my YouTube account. Why? Because I had a private video. Nobody could watch it except me and the YouTube administrators in which a guest on my show said the following. Mike, this is how Orwellian it is. My guest said there are millions of people who doubt the results of the last election. That statement meant that our YouTube channel could be canceled. Mm. Now, God bless the YouTube alternative rumble. We immediately switched to them. They believe in the First Amendment. They believe in freedom of speech. Within a week, we had 300,000 followers on, on the YouTube alternative rumble. But the fact that that is what they think they get to do mm. when they're not publishers, they have immunity from, from libel because they said, we're not publishers, we are social media platforms. Hang on a second, when you're editing, you are a publisher. So some big people are getting involved. Peter Thiel, who's a conservative in Palo Alto, just put a lot of money into to Rumble. So we, we have, I don't want to have ghettos. I don't want to have a social media ghetto for conservatives. No, but these, you want it these to be guys, open for everybody, don't you? Yeah, but these guys have got too big for their britches. Yeah. Oh, they absolutely have. Well, it comes as no surprise to me that Facebook behaves in the way that it does because they thought hiring Nick Clegg was a great idea. One of the least successful politicians uh, that ever worked in the House of Commons could only get into government uh, because he did a sort of slightly dodgy deal with David Cameron for a coalition and then betrayed all of his Lib Dem voters in order to get a seat in the uh, Prime Minister's limo. You know, these are the kind of people we're dealing with. And he's advising uh, Facebook as to how to deal with British politics. Hang on a second, right? He's he's on the board deciding whether or not a former president in America yeah. is allowed to be on Facebook. How Nick Clegg, how insane is that? It really is extraordinary, isn't it? But it just goes to show you, Sebastian, that if you wish to dine and sup at the table of these people, all you have to do is say the right thing and be the right person and pretend that you agree with everything they say. And then you'll get a nice, easy six-figure salary and you'll never have to uh, work again for any any proper reason. Well, look, that, that you know as well as I do. That, that's why you know, platforms like talk radio 
are exploding, are burgeoning. That's why we can go from YouTube cancellation to a third of a million followers on, on Rumble. That's why, our, you know, things like Newsmax, where I have a TV show, are, are, are the new alternative. People have had enough. They want the truth. They don't want people who think they are better than the people who elect them into government. So God bless you and what you're doing. It's truly the future. It really is. And I think the fact that people have lost all faith now uh, in what you would call mainstream media channels like the BBC, uh, who now have a trust rating literally in their news department of 6%. I don't know where they found 6% because uh, I'm not even sure it's that high. Look, where, the BBC, let's be honest, the BBC's always been biased, okay? That they were, they, you know, 40 years ago, they were no big fans of Maggie Thatcher. Right. But, but now, now it has become this, this clique of people who think the same. When you're, when you're discriminating against future hires mm. based upon skin color, who, who are the real extremists? Mm. Who, are the, who are the real racists? Yeah. The, the, you know, and... and God bless David Attenborough, but I'm I'm sorry when 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 the BBC only peddles virtue signalling political garbage and then says you can't have a job here because you've got the wrong skin colour and and we're the racists, we're the extremists. Uh, let's get rid of that license fee. I think. Yeah, well, I think that's the way we're heading. Absolutely, I was saying earlier on today we've we've got our own um, migrant problem of people coming over from France, which we still don't seem to be able to get to grips with. The BBC actually did a report. Because guess what? They've sued the government successfully, uh, having been put up in some barracks and they didn't like it very much. Uh, and they've won. And a judge has actually said uh, that the government may have to pay now compensation to some illegal migrants who didn't like where they were put after coming here from France. But in the news report from the BBC, they described how one of the buildings went on fire. Well, one of the buildings, <laughs> one of the buildings went on fire because they set it on fire. <laughs> they couldn't bring themselves to say that. <laughs> absolute insanity yeah. it's it's like here with cnn saying there's if you guys haven't seen it you've got to go and find the video clip it, it went viral there's a cnn uh, quite a famous cnn reporter standing on a street in portland or, oh, yes, or wherever he's, it, yeah. and, and he's standing with a microphone saying the mostly peaceful <laughs> blm riots as the building behind him is burning to yeah. the ground yeah i mean that, that's the alternative universe they live in and they really think americans are that dumb that you can stand there in front of the arsonist's paradise and say mostly peaceful amazing sebastian great to see you looking so well uh, when's the next america first uh, radio show that we can listen to it's going to be, what time is it here, Seb? It's going to be in six hours' time. Check us out on Rumble or go to the website, sebgorka.com, S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A.com. Be there. Fantastic stuff. Sebastian Gorka, a great man, uh, a great politician as well, uh, giving us the lowdown from the United States. You don't hear that from anywhere else, only on talk radio, because we are uh, the home of common sense and we are uh, the place you get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's 12.48. It's Friday. It's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Yeah, that's more like it. That is, that honestly, is we, we've got dancing, yeah, we've got a bit dancing. of a do-si-do. I love it. I love what we're seeing Arms here. Arms being waved. It's all good. <laughs> it's the third wave. 
Well done, everybody. Yes, um, it feels welcome. like uh, we've already won. So, welcome. Welcome. So, this welcome to the Perry Awards. Thank you very much. This is where we look back on the so-called Independent Republic of Mike Graham so cool. and choose our favourite moment. Indeed. So, following tradition, mm. tradition, 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 tradition. <laughs> uh, the first Perry Award goes to you. Thank you. Uh, for the innuendo of the week. Now, fully prepared as I am uh, to be spanked by Stuart Jackson, uh, I'm going to talk to him right now. He is found. Director of Strategic Council at Political Insight, former Conservative Party MP, of course, as well. Stuart, very good morning to you. Mike, the very thought of spanking you live <laughs> on air, I think, would do wonders for your ratings. Well, now we know, Stuart, I suppose well, you could say. There we go, we would be up for it. I meant, obviously, intellectually rather yes. than physically. No, of course, yeah. of course, but um, yes. But it's yeah. good, I'd forgotten about yeah. that. <laughs> it's been quite a long week this week, hasn't it? It's, was it Bank Holiday? It was Bank Holiday yeah. Monday, which seems to have made the week take longer. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, I mean... I, I was had... exhausted by Tuesday. Yes, me too. I mm. had to. I asked the team, like, what day was Thursday, even though we'd had our regulars on, like, Helen Dale and Helen yes. McLean. And they were like, how do you know it's not Thursday? Yes, like, well, you know, it's true. easy to forget what day it is. It is very <laughs> easy at the minute, and especially when they all seem the same. Exactly. But anyway, um, so, cue the visual, period. Oh, yes. So we spoke to Simon Calder, our favourite travel expert. This is a visual, period for stealing the limelight of the week. Mm. At the moment, um, well, they're making making uh, PCR pay while the sun shines. Quite. And how long are you in Gibraltar for? Um, what's your plan? Are you planning to go somewhere else from there? Well, planning to be here till Friday. Nice. But um, if uh, something exciting happens, like Spain gets put on mm. the. Um... So, for those who can't, who can't see, see yes. do tell us. Uh, <laughs> so, Somebody was can, waving at the camera. Yes, yes, yes. Who so, was that? I don't know, just an onlooker. A passerby. Yes, a, a tourist. A pass, a, what is that thing called tourism? We used to have them here, yeah, you know. Exactly. Who used to come here as tourists and they used to travel around the country they did. spending money, mm. keeping our economy afloat, taking pictures, waving, yeah, all that. Exactly. We don't have background. it anymore. No. Don't see them anymore. No. All we've got is a lot of people outside with the machetes <laughs> trying oh. to sort of kill each other. Great, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> well hopefully That's we'll, not all we've we'll got, Yeah, but you no, know hopefully I mean. we'll get back to tourism then very soon. I hope so. I hope so. He's still in Gibraltar by the looks of it, Simon. I think he was oh, on with Julia this morning. Oh, very nice. Mm. Jealous. Yes. Um so over to James Max for the interruption of the week. Yeah. Look, there are some concerns that as we get back to work, um we've got uh we've <laughs> Oh, good Lord. We've... <laughs> oh, good Lord. Oh, good Lord. Oh, good Lord. Was that his phone or somebody else's? No, it was the guest's phone. Oh, OK. Yes. I thought you were going to play me something else there when you talked about interruption of the week. but uh, Oh, have oh, I missed something? No, no, no. Nothing to do with me. I can't oh, right. say any more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's escaped my radar. Don't worry. I'll, I'll no, see it's if I okay. can track it down. Have a word for, with for the a... studio manager. OK. Oh, I see. OK, Mark will be having words. You Thank don't have to you. mention his name. Oh, sorry. That's uh, why I called him the studio oh, manager, the stu- to protect studio manager. his uh, uh, anonymity. Identity. Oh, dear. There you go. Oh, dear. Anyway, blown that. I've blown that now. So, next up is Kevin O'Sullivan. Yes. So, uh, again, it's another visual pair. Is it good? So, um, f- f- basically, he's up for using his journalistic instincts. Mm. This is the Perry Award for the, uh, what is it, interviewer of the week. Mm. Say hello. Hello. Hi, Pickle. <laughs> yeah. This is born star, born star. The, the true star of the family, I would suggest. Um, oh, definitely. Well, nice to see uh, Pickle. Now, talking of animals. 
So why is he interviewing a cat? So because uh, I don't know. I think the cat was in the background, I and I, ca I came in on Saturday, and I was mm. just like, right, that needs to go on. Yes. Well done, Kevin, yeah. for Pets the best are conversation. Good. They Pets are, are indeed. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, Julia Hart. Julia Hartley Brewer uh, gets an award for the wrong name out of the week. Congratulations, mm. Julia, for forgetting your own name. This <laughs> is the 2nd of June. It's not, again, the 2nd of June, I can't believe we're already at the 2nd of June. You're listening to Breakfast with July, Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. <laughs> July Hartley Brewer. It's easy to forget. I mean, it's amazing what you can get wrong when you speak as much as we do. I know that's true. It's quite remarkable that we don't get more wrong, actually. Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, you barely get anything wrong well, anyway. Well, that's very like. true. Very so, uh, yeah, but I'm very good at it, though. You are. You know. You are. Not everybody's as good as me. No, that's true. That's, that's true. true. That's why it's a Mike Graham show. It's the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. <laughs> I think you'll find. Uh, so, Ziggy, your beloved Ziggy, oh, yes. makes an appearance uh, on the Perrier Awards. Uh, this is the Crufts Award of the Week. Mm. I suppose unless he can bark on demand, I don't imagine there's any way that we're actually going to be able to, to do this now. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> so he does bark on demand that was unfortunate because we would normally uh, envision on that but mm. we lost the signal because for some reason the signal down on the beach wasn't very good no it wasn't was it yeah no. but oh. he does bark on demand well very clever. I, I mean how did you get him like is there a cue what do you do well, i'm not going to tell you am I? oh that's why would i tell secret. you that's another that's oh. trade secret <laughs> but you can make him bark on demand especially at the beach there's something that he likes to do at the beach oh. i can't say anymore okay well you know his secret will be safe with me <laughs> Uh, so Mark Dolan spoke, mm. to, spoke to Lucy Jones um, on his show. This is the Perry Award for the location of the week. Uh, where are you? Are you allowed to tell us even? I'm just by a brick wall, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so she could Very have been good. anywhere, really. Could be anywhere. Very well said, though, because yes. that's quite cunning, that. It is. Because by a brick it wall. could be a brick wall. Could be in London. Could be in China. It could be brick, anywhere. Great brick wall of China. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Sorry. Are you here all week, man? I am. No, I'm going after this. <laughs> Finally, yes. a, a show regular Helen mm. Dale gets a Perry Award for the Self-Deprecation Award of the Week. Mm. I might have been 18 and have four A's at A level and all of this silly nonsense, but I assure you, at 18, I had a brain the size of a peanut. Mm. Well, I the mean, brain. I'll take her word for that. Exactly. Now she's got a giant brain. She has. Yeah. Uh, it's, size she's of a walnut. Like, she's like... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's a joke, Helen, if you're listening. I walnuts you, are a lot I, bigger. I thought you were going to say the size of a watermelon. No, no, the size of a walnut. <laughs> walnuts are about that big. Ah, okay. Which yeah, is not yeah. very big if you're a human brain size, but no. I mean, nevertheless, Doesn't bigger than a peanut. a large mammal have some sort of brain the size of a walnut? I don't when know. When you say large mammal, what do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know, like a, a whale or something? A whale? <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know. I, I have no know. idea. Maybe well, you have to look. You Google it. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring that to the Perry Awards next yeah. week. So on that note, yes, uh, that's all for the Perry Awards. Well done. There will be war next week. Thank you very much. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Imagine the 
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.